Thank you, Ruth, as well. And believe it or not, Sam Corey put together that video this week. So a big round of applause for, for Sam. So lots of issues of change in there. I don't know if you can remember them from the video. Um, using MindMaster, the benefit of a tummy tuck, birth, marriage, death, climate change, Brexit. Uh, what do we want to see change in? It's a very personal thing, needing change and wanting change. And uh, as Sam said earlier, uh, and Sarah said, there's lots of things we want to change in our society and lots of things we want to change in life. Thinking about the major changes in life, I'm just looking over there in that corner and Sam and Melissa are there with Martha. So birth is a big change. You seem to have taken to it like ducks to water, did dead easy. That's fantastic. <laughs> so get a class in parenting from Sam and Melissa. I was just thinking of uh, ourselves, my wife and I, we've got four children and we had our four children at home. And that was a big change uh, in our life. And our eldest was born 26 years ago. Sam, so woo, that's a long time ago. I remember childbirth being that quite tense, you know. It was kind of tiring and tense. And I was really anxious and it seemed to take a long time. It's really hard for fathers in childbirth. I just, just I can still feel that kind of tension of having our first child. But then, you know, when everyone kind of went away and we were in, in our home, having had the baby at home, Yvonne apologised to me later in the evening. She said, uh, the midwife's going to give up. And then a GP, a wonderful GP, arrived and saved the day. And uh, me and him kind of supported Yvonne and Sam was born. And she said to me that evening, I'm really sorry I was pulling your hair out. I said, no, you weren't. It was fine. And then she realised that she'd got me and the doctor the wrong way round. <laughs> And this GP that had come to save the day was half bald already. She was pulling lumps of his hair out. And I was fine. It was great. But it was emotionally draining and exhausting having a baby. And then the next morning, I was like fast asleep, worn out, whatever. Everyone was up early, bathing Sam, and everything was under control. So uh, I had a professional at home for, uh, for babies. I was exhausted, but she was fine. But also thinking about change, it, it made me think technologically as well. And uh, when our first two, Sam and Joanna, were born, um, I had to be near a phone to kind of get the call if something was happening and going, can you remember those days when you had to be near a landline, pre-mobiles? And there's a big, a big divide in this room. You guys can remember life before mobiles, and you guys can't. So I had to be near a phone. But then when Stevie over here was born, 22 years ago, I borrowed someone's pager. You know, like pagers, doctors get like a page and you get a little message. So in case something was happening with Stevie coming, I, I had a pager I borrowed and it kind of bleeped. You got a little message like, come home now. But our youngest is called Josh and he's only just turned 19. And I had my first mobile phone by then. So our four kind of children... Uh, we've gone from landlines to mobile phones. I actually have. I brought along my first mobile phone here this morning. Isn't that a classic a Motorola M3788D? Dion, you're not old enough to remember one of these, are you? Your dad had one. Fantastic. So hasn't life changed? Yeah, this, you really look cool with one of these in your pocket, wouldn't you? 
So I wasn't part of the era where you had a briefcase, you know, the pioneers of mobile phones. I wasn't there, but, but time moves on and things change. And our youngest, our little baby, went off to university just this weekend. Yvonne's not here because she's taken him. And uh, he's moved away to uni and he's gone to Hull, the UK city of culture. Yeah, right. Anyway, he's in, <laughs> he's in Hull and we've got an empty nest. So Yvonne is driving back to an empty nest, having 26 years of being a fantastic mother and whatever. We were talking to Josh on Thursday night, and he was imagining what it would be like being dropped off at uni, and he'd uh, see Yvonne driving off into the sunset and think, this is it, I'm on my own. What's for dinner? (laughs) Who's going to cook it? (laughs) And he was kind of panicking at uh, how how this would go. But it makes me feel old now. They're all kind of grown up and moved on. I kind of feel old. Uh, and old people, they used to say, I remember them saying, you know, I look old on the outside, but I haven't changed much inside. Old people used to say that. I thought it's just one of the things old people say, you know. And then I'm saying it now, you know. I don't feel as old as I look. Um, but I do look old. And I was on sabbatical, you know, I had time out from church earlier this year. And it really frustrated me that people didn't seem to have any problem imagining that I'd retired. That's why I was kind of hanging around on sabbatical. But the worst thing happened to me this year. The worst thing happened to me. I, I take my elderly mother to hospital appointment sometime. And we got to the hospital. And the first nurse that we met asked if I was her husband. That is just wrong at so many levels. Do I really look 86? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. Do I really look 86? That was, that was very sad and very cruel. So changes, they're big things in our lives, big things. So how do we feel about change? Next slide, please, Chris. How do you feel? Do you fear change? Is it really scary? I was speaking to someone recently, and they feared change. And I kind of said, why? Um, And she'd had uh, problems in relationships, broken relationships, and parents dying. And so change was a bad thing for her. And other people really like to enjoy or embrace change. And they're restless for change. Do you see change as a threat and fear it? Or do you see it as an opportunity to enjoy? And there's two different uh, views, aren't there? Next slide, please. Obama, the change we need. Did we feel we needed a change eight years ago? Has America seen it? I don't know. I think we need change. We want change. But how much change? Was that down to him? Or was that down to other powers that be resisting him? But there's a a resonance. We want change. We need change. But the excitement sometimes gets, we get let down in disappointment. We don't see the change we need. Next one, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. You must be the change you wish to see in the world. Anyone know who said that? Naomi says Martin Luther King, Gandhi, there we are. So is that Cambridge Beats? No, we won't go there. You must be the change that uh, you wish to see in the world. There's a good challenge in that, isn't it? We want to see change, but I've got to change. 
uh, to be part of that process. Next one, please, Chris. This is J.K. Rowling. We do not need magic to change the world. We carry all the power we need inside ourselves already. We have the power to imagine better. What do you think of that? You like it? Have we got it all within us? Can we change it by imagining and thinking better? Will that work? See a few kind of grimaces and a, a nose, but that was J.K. Rowling. One more. It only takes one person to change your life. You. And yeah, there's a kind of responsibility. It can't be about just other people have got to change or the world's got to change. It, it has to be about me at some level, but can I change myself? You know, will 10 million self-help books be the answer that uh, I will change my life? Only one person can change your life, you. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. And so one or two people are, are shaking their heads. I like old rock music. There's an old band called 10 Years After. Anyone heard of them? Anyone old enough? Chris is old enough. They've got a song that's uh, it's called Change the World. It says, I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do, so I'll leave it up to you. It's a very good song. Very good song. It's, he's good. Yeah, realistic. So he's a great guitarist. Um, Rick Warren. I don't know if you noticed the end of Sam's fantastic video. He was talking about people. We want to change our circumstances. We want God to change things around us. But he said it's, it's got to be about us. There is a God. There's a God who loves us. And we need him to do a deep work of change in our lives. Now, would you recognize this uh, couple here and dog? Who are they? Gogglebox? Yeah, who watches Gogglebox? Who doesn't know what Gogglebox is? Oh, you fantastic cultured people who work so hard and don't waste your time. Gogglebox, uh, for the uninitiated, is a program about people watching television. So it's a television program about people watching television. So they, they sign up for the scheme, they have a little camera on top of their TV set, and they're filmed watching TV. And then there's a TV program of their comments on what they're... Naomi, a hard-working GP, cannot believe <laughs> that people do this. And... Uh, uh, there's a program about people watching television. It's got to that level. Anyone know her name? Kate? So you go say it. She, she's got the right accent as well because the, the, the woman vicar there is from Sheffield. So, Kate Botley. Kate Botley. Round of applause for Ruth. And uh, it's sad you watch so much time, spend so much time watching Gogglebox. She's the, that vicar off Gogglebox, and uh, she's had a lot of criticism, you know, why aren't you doing something useful like visiting people or praying while you sit and watching telly, but she said, oh, I'm an extrovert, and millions of people are seeing me on telly, and I hope if I say some things that are going to be useful and impact people's lives. And I was reading about her story, and uh, her story briefly goes like this, she wasn't from a Christian family or a Christian background. <laughs> But uh, when she went to senior school, she was about 13, uh, one of her best friends at school was a Christian, went to the local church. 
And after she got to know her, Kate fancied uh, a boy in the playground. And her friend knew him because he was the vicar's son of her church. So Kate thought, he looks all right. Uh, and so she went to church because she fancied the vicar's son. And um, she says this, In the church I found a bunch of people who even when I was an obnoxious, argumentative, horrible teenager, not looking at anyone, who wanted to shout at the world, they gave me a space to do that. So I just used to go along and disagree a lot. and didn't really believe a word of it. But then slowly, the love of the community and the truth of the gospel got to me. The love of the community and the truth of the gospel got to me. And she prayed and asked God to come into her life and found something radically changed in her. And uh, then from being totally non-Christian background, disagreeing with church and disagreeing with uh, what the Bible said. She's ended up being a vicar and uh, working full-time, promoting and being enthusiastic about who God is and what he's doing in the world. And that kind of radical change, I haven't got all the answers to the world's problems. I can't tell you how to change uh, society. I can't recommend the best campaign for you to get behind. We've all got a passion for different things in the world. But I want to kind of finish up by saying that the most fundamental change, the crucial change, is the change that she found. That there is a God in this world, that he created this world, that he came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He loves us and he accepts us despite all our problems, all the things that we want to change about ourselves, all our issues. He loves us, he accepts us, and he wants to come into our lives. And if we let him do that, he's going to change us and change us for the better. And he's going to make us, whatever our interests are, whatever our skills are, whatever our talents are, if he's working in our lives, he's going to make us someone that can make a difference in this world, someone that can make a contribution, someone that can bring about positive change. And I want to interact with a few little bits of the Bible as we uh, finish this section. And thinking about change, uh, one of the images in the Bible is around a change of clothes. And uh, one of the letters that a guy called Paul wrote uh, says these words. Don't lie to one another. You're done with the old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes. You've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. 
That's a wonderful message from Paul. He's comparing the, the change we need to like a change of clothes. And that can fe- feel and sound a bit superficial. But uh, the change of clothes represents something significant happening in our lives, not just a superficial surface change, but something much deeper. And it's like our lives without God are an ill-fitting, dirty set of clothes. And God doesn't want us to walk around like that. He wants us to take away those old clothes and burn them. And he's going to dress us in a new set of clothes. And they've got the, not a designer label on, but a label made by the creator saying you're human, but true humanity is to be like Jesus. And a change of clothes is going to make you look and sound and speak and be, by the grace of God, more like Jesus. And the new wardrobe is clothes that are full of compassion and kindness, humility and strength. And that change of clothes, not a superficial surface thing, not a makeover, but a picture of how we can change if we come to know Jesus. And there's a passage in the Old Testament that kind of backs that up, if you put that up, Chris, from a prophetic book called Zechariah. And uh, there's a picture of the high priest called Joshua and an image of him, and it says this. Then the angel showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin, and I'll put fine garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. So that was a man, and he was a a well-known man. He had an important job. He meant to be the the leading religious bloke in the country. But before God, just as who he was, it was like he was dressed in dirty rags. And we don't like to, to think in terms of sin, but Whatever label we put on it, there are things we're unhappy with in our lives, things we feel guilty about, things we want to change. And God said it's a bit like that picture of clothes. I'm going to take away the dirt, the regrets, the sins, the pains. I'm going to take them away and I'm going to clothe you in wonderful, new, clean clothes. And that's what Jesus does for us if we put our faith and trust in him. And he not only gets rid of the dirt, gets rid of the the wrong in our lives, forgives us. He clothes us with something new and something fresh. That's a wonderful thing. You can get rid of your rubbish to God and he'll put positive things in your life. And he does that by his Holy Spirit who comes to live in us. And he's got a purpose for our lives as well. He doesn't just forgive us. He doesn't just put good things in our lives, but he has a purpose for us. And it's a wonderful thing in life, not just to make that change from not knowing God to knowing God, but also to discover from God the unique contribution that you can make. And next slide, please, Chris. It's like an exchange. 
And it's a wonderful deal. My rubbish, my failings, my faults, my sin, I give them to God. And in Jesus, God gives me his goodness, his love, his compassion. And a calling on my life, a job that only I can do to make a difference in this world. Two more in closing. Like I said, the kind of close thing sounds a bit superficial, but it's about a real change of heart and a real change of life. And this is another one of Paul's letters. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Is that good news? Old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. And the change that we're promised is a new life. We become spiritually alive. It's like having, it's not a kind of personality transplant, but... New life begins. It's that God's Holy Spirit works in our lives if we choose to follow Jesus. And I think the, the fundamental kind of breakdown in life and in society is relational breakdown. People just cannot get on with each other. Our relationships are under so much pressure, and that's on the micro level of a couple, and obviously the macro level of wars and disputes that are terrible and lots of people suffer. And there's a fundamental alienation that's there. And the good news here is the change that God offers is a reconnection when we're alienated from others and cut off from God. If we want to change and we put our faith in Jesus, we're back in relationship with God as our loving Heavenly Father. And out of that relationship, we've got the hope of making more positive contributions in other relationships and being peacemakers. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And we want to be people that help people get together and not part of the problem that drives people apart. And then finally, these words from one more of Paul's letters. Place your life before God. So here's what I want you to do with God helping you. You can't do it in your own strength with God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. And that's great. That's really, really good news. Our ordinary lives, we give them to God. The pressures, the pains, the basic things of life, the comings and goings and wakings and sleepings and going to works, we give them to God and we say, Lord, I want you to work in my life for change, for good, 
and I want you to transform me. And he does that by his wonderful power through Jesus Christ. And we don't want to be so embracing our culture that we get dragged down with its immaturity. But if we're connecting to God, then he's going to work in our life and bring about a maturity, a love, a compassion. And we're going to look more and more like the character of who Jesus is. And us being transformed and changed by God in that way is what the world needs to see and hear. So I want to encourage you to think about change. Maybe there are things that you know you need to change in your life. Maybe there are things that make you angry that you want to change in the world. Go for those things. But at the heart of it and the deepest and most fundamental level is to find Jesus and ask him to work in your life and to change you. And to help you do that, uh, we've got an Alpha course. If you've got questions about life and questions about faith, uh, we'd love you to come along. It starts with the Alpha Supper. So not this coming Wednesday, but the Wednesday after, there's a supper down the road in Sydenham. And Pete and Debbie over there know all about the Alpha Course. They'll be sitting at the table when you have coffee in a few minutes' time. And they can talk to you about coming along to that course. If you've got a friend that you think they need to ask their questions, they need to feel free to probe these issues of life, they may need a change in their lives, then why don't you come along and bring a friend? So you get an evening out, you get a free meal, and you have a good time with your friend. So it's win, 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 all the way through. It's wonderful. I'll just pray briefly, and then I'll hand back to Sarah. Jesus, we thank you for loving us. We thank you that we could come together in this way as a community this morning. And we pray you'll help us to know you and help us to change in the ways that you want us to change. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.